Hey guys, Pastor Ben here. Thank you for joining us again for this video on FCC Grayson Online. Today, we're going to be continuing in our Grow Together sermon series we've taken the past couple weeks. We started in week one of this new year of talking about growing together when we focused on the topic of hope starts here. We began in Romans chapter 12, and we took verses 1 and 2 that particular Sunday, and we answered the question as to how does hope start here? Why does hope start here? Why is that something that we as First Church have plastered all over the place, on our screens, on our social media, in any type of correspondence, that your story isn't over yet? Hope starts here. Well, we found out in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, that our hope starts here because we find God's mercy and we find God's grace. So anywhere that God's mercy and anywhere that God's grace is present, you will also find hope. So hope starts here because of Romans 1 and 12, 1 and 2, that we're not to be conformed to the world, that we're not to be, uh, you know, not to live continually in the ways of the world and the ways of the flesh, but we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, by the mercies of God, that we can live our lives as living sacrifices to Him. Last Sunday, we advanced a little bit in Romans chapter 12, and we went through verses 3 through 8, where we started talking about this family identity and what it means to truly have an identity as a local church congregation and a local body here in our context in Grayson. And Paul begins in verses 4 through 8, he begins talking about this, these spiritual gifts, these, this body analogy of how we all kind of fit and intertwine together as God puts us in places and gives us gifts. But before he does that in verses 4 through 8, he takes verse 3 and he says that there's two action steps that we have to take off of coming off, you know, coming off of this verses one and two with this living sacrifice. And there's a couple action steps that prove that we're living as living sacrifices. And verse three says that we don't need to think of ourselves more highly than what we should. Don't don't be too proud. Uh, and then it also instructs us to use good judgment, use sober judgment. Now, last week, what we did was we read verses 4 through 8, but instead of going with the body analogy, we kind of shifted gears a little bit, and we went to another one of the letters to the churches that Paul wrote, and this was to the church at Ephesus when we went to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 18 through 22, and we looked at this passage where Paul is presenting this concept that we're all one and that we are all made up into the household of God, being fitly uh, joined together as God brings us together. And that was Ephesians chapter 2, verses 18 through 22. So what we did last week was we put some consideration questions at the end of it. And that, that is still accessible. You can still find that on the website, fccgrayson.com. And if you'll go to the message note, notes page, 
that is still on there. And you can also follow along with today's message also. Now, before I get really deep into the word this morning, I do want to remind you of what Devin talked to us about at the very beginning of this video. We encourage you to go to the website, to the Grow Together page, fccgrayson.com Grow Together page. There you're going to find a list. It's not exhaustive. It's not every way that you could possibly get plugged in or possibly take a growth step in your faith and your relationship with Jesus Christ, but it gives you some really good ideas as to maybe what that next growth step needs to be for you as you're growing in your relationship with God. So we will have some more sermon considerations at the end of this message, so make sure that you uh, don't stop just as soon as I stop, and definitely don't tune off and tune out until uh, you know I finish speaking, right? I mean, who, who would even consider napping through one of my messages, right? All right, so Romans chapter 12. Go ahead, and if you're not there already, turn to Romans chapter 12, and we're going to be taking our primary text today, beginning with verse 9. There Paul says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. Today we are looking at what discipleship looks like within the context of our church family. Church discipleship, what does that mean? That's one of those couple dollar words that you hear in church uh, cultures and the Christianese, so to speak, in our vernacular that we use in our language is this word, discipleship. Just like last week, we're going to shift our focus here in just a moment, and we're going to go to a new, uh, another New Testament letter that Paul wrote. But if you get correspondence from us throughout the week, you received an email, you saw on our social media, uh, the various social media feeds, that I was encouraging each of you to read in the book of Colossians in chapter 1. Because what we see there is Paul providing us the framework of not only what the concept of church discipleship should look like, but he also provides a definition of what individual discipleship means. What does it mean? What is the definition to be a disciple of Christ? And in that passage that I posted and encourage you guys to read at the beginning of chapter 1, we find three definitions. He says here's three characteristics of what a disciple of Jesus Christ is. Number one, it means that we are growing in our knowledge and our love of God. It's a continuous state of growth. It also means that we seek to glorify him and him alone. We're not worried. A true disciple of Christ shouldn't be worried about self-glorification. All glory goes to Jesus Christ. And lastly, he says that a true disciple, being a disciple of Jesus Christ, means to stay true to the gospel, to never waver from the gospel of Jesus Christ, the true gospel, and to remain faithful to that. So 
Before we read out of the letter to the church at Colossae, I want us to understand, I want to tell you why we're going there. Because this is a powerful scripture that we just read out of Romans chapter 12. One of the reasons we're going away from it is because sometimes we can view things like this as we look and use this as the framework for our church discipleship. We could go, okay, here's a list of what we do, the do's and don'ts, and there's nothing wrong with that. But when we are focusing just on a singular chapter, like we are in Romans chapter 12, we've not taken the time to cover what led up to this. So the danger is, is if we take this and just pull it out and say, okay, here's what it means for church discipleship to happen, then we have this checklist of almost like a morality type checklist. And we can go through and check off the boxes and really there's no growth involved. You know, we can have the mission of, you know, be on mission to check off all of these boxes. But just because we're on mission doesn't necessarily mean that we're growing in our maturity. But I will tell you this, I don't think it's possible for us to be maturing in Christ and not be on mission. So I don't want us to adopt these as simply a morality checklist or a church religion type checklist that, okay, by the end of the day, I've abhorred what is evil. I've been generous. I've done all of these things and I can check, 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 check. Paul has spent a lot of time in this letter to the church at Rome kind of debunking that and teaching just the opposite of that. But as we're pulling this out, I want us to make sure that we are framing church discipleship in its proper biblical context. Now, something that I want to present to you, a passage of scripture that we use somewhat frequently here at First Church, is out of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now, that's an Old Testament book, close to the beginning, so I'm going to give you just a little bit of time as I'm talking here to go ahead and turn to your left, or turn the pages to your right, but you're going to your left. Oh, numbers and colors, man, if I ever get them down, I'm going to be a real threat, I feel. But Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we're going to look at family discipleship. Now, we have used this in the context, and I believe it's the proper context, in teaching and in ministering to our parents that, hey, discipleship needs to happen at home. And you know what? That is 100% accurate. Not backing off of that statement whatsoever. But what I do want us to consider is that we need to broaden our definition of family discipleship. Last week, we challenged and we were kind of stretched a little bit with our definition of family by not only including our, our direct home, but that ripples out. We have a little bit of extended family. But then we also challenged you that the church as a family, this local body of believers, FCC Grayson is your family. We are related. That's right. You're related to me. I know that's the best news that you could possibly have. But let's look at this passage out of Deuteronomy chapter 6. And let's apply the concepts of the local church being our family as well. Because both the early church and the nation of Israel, God's people in the Old Testament that would have been receiving this word, the Jewish people, they didn't make a great big distinction between their immediate family and then the rest of the community. Their communities were considered their families. 
their tribes, their people. So Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So here, that's a very direct instruction to the families. So let's apply that to us today. Let's think about that everywhere we go, everything we do, we need to be applying these lessons that we learn from God, this growth that we're having in our faith, this deeper understanding that we're gaining day by day when we're in our Bible, this deeper connectivity of relationship that we have between us and God as we spend time in prayer. And then let's begin to also cult continue to cultivate this family atmosphere here at FCC. So now let's go to Colossians chapter 1. I wanted to frame that as we understand and as we grow in our understanding that the church is a family means that we are responsible and we have obligations to help our church family, regardless of whether we live in the same home as they, as they do or not. We have an obligation to help disciple our brothers and sisters in Christ, whether they're older, whether they're younger, whether they're the same age, to quote the epic, epic high school musical, we're all in this together. Some of you just heard the song in your head. Some of you just did the dance. And I'm going to spare you from me doing that. But Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 29. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body. That is, the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Let's look at a couple things from this and let's frame what Paul is writing to the church here at Colossians, what, what he is writing to the Colossian people and frame this how church needs to be functioning as disciples. And let's look at what that means for our church. First, I'm going to use the real estate mantra here. Location, location, location. That's right. It's important in the church world as well. Now, you're not going to see that as a mission statement. At least, 
don't think you would. Hope not, anyhow. But it's incredibly important, and I want that to be my first point of this sermon, is that it matters where you are discipled. The context of primary discipleship is the local church. It is a big deal where you are plugged in. It is a big deal where you kind of plant your flag, so to speak, and say, this is where I belong. This is where God's calling me. This is my, this is my people. This is my family. This is, because what we're in effect saying is when we take up a covenant with the church, when we, when we put our stakes down, when we, when we plant the flag, and when we settle into a congregation, become part of the family, we are saying that this is the expression, this is the visual, the audible expression of my theology. Again, theology is one of those words that we really just kind of has become cringeworthy because we've heard such negative things coming out of theological debates. And man, we're just like, can't we all just love Jesus? Can't we all just love Jesus, love one another? Guess what? That's theology. Theology is what you believe about God. What you believe to be true. What you believe to be right. What you believe that his word says, that is your theology. And that, my friends, is a really big deal. And the church that you're a part of is the expression of your theology. So that primary discipleship role and that location, location, location that you find yourself in is a really big deal because you are saying that you accept now, listen, not every fine point, not every little, little granular detail, but you're saying that I accept this teaching. I believe in this teaching. I believe in what we do here. I believe that God is orchestrating what's happening. I believe that the will of God is being done to our best abilities here in this place. And that's what you're saying. But what you're also saying is that I, can, I will be willing to continually be shaped and molded and challenged and discipled as I mature in my walk of God through the teaching, through the theology, and through the presentations of this church family. So there's an expectation that you have, right? We have expectations of our local church. Again, going back to the individual discipleship thing. Folks, if your church, if you're not part of the FCC family, and my prayer is every day that we live up to these, to these expectations. But if you're not part of the FCC family, then if you're part of another church family, you need to make sure that that church is encouraging you and pushing you and challenging you to grow in your knowledge and your love for God. It also needs to be pushing and challenging you to make sure that you are glorifying God and glorifying Him alone. And it, you need to make sure that that church is helping you and it to stay focused on the true gospel of Jesus Christ and not waver from that. You see those individual discipleship definitions that Paul gave earlier in this chapter? It's the same for the church too. The church needs to be growing in its knowledge and its love for God. It needs to be giving glory to him and him alone. And we need not ever waver or shift from the true gospel message. So you have expectations of your church. Guess what? Your church should have expectations of you as well. As pastor of FCC, 
part of my responsibility, my obligation, and my passion and my calling is to make sure that you, as part of my family, as part of FCC, is growing in your knowledge and love for God, is glorifying Him and Him alone, and that you are not wavering from the gospel, the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, while it's true that so much of individual discipleship happens away from here because we may have you for two hours. So that means if we got you for one hour, you got 167 other hours during the week. If we got you for two hours, then that means you got 166 extra hours. So, so much of the discipleship happens at home. Not arguing that whatsoever. But the source, your primary source of discipleship, that should be the church and your church family. So I want to share just a little bit of a story before I move on uh, here. Just a little bit of an illustration to maybe try to bring this into focus just a little bit, this concept of what I'm talking about here. I remember being part of a baptismal service of a young man who was about 18, 19 years old, something like that. And as he was, he made his statement of faith, he, he confessed, he repented, he was making this proclamation publicly. And as we moved into the baptism portion of the service, I remember looking out and seeing um, just a little bit of an older lady, just absolutely weeping almost like uncontrollably, to the point that I thought, well, this is his grandmother, this is someone that's part of the family, this is someone that, that's really close with him. After the baptism was done and after everybody was kind of filing their way out, I remember going up to this, this particular lady and, and asking her, I was like, and I, I really I saw uh, that you were truly moved by what was happening here, and it blessed my heart to do that. I was just kind of curious how... Uh, how you're connected to this young man. Are you his grandmother? Are you related? An aunt, maybe something to that effect, great aunt. And she said, I held that young man every Sunday morning in the nursery. I changed his diaper. I fed him bottles. I comforted him when he cried. I laughed with him when he was happy. And for his nursery years, I was one of them that held that young man in my arms, and I felt such a weight of importance of holding him and loving on him in this church family, in this context, and to see him give his heart to the Lord and to see him be baptized. She said, that is what I prayed over that young man every time that I held him in the nursery. She had him maybe, maybe 52 hours a year, probably not even that. Hopefully, they gave her a break from the nursery, right, nursery workers, right? But think about that level of investment. Think about what type of approach that she took to that ministry, to her holding him, feeding him, changing him, comforting him, rejoicing with him. That's the type of approach that we need to have 
as a church family, that we may not have this direct one-on-one, super intense discipleship, mentoring type role in someone's life, but everything we do as a community is and should be discipling, empowering, pushing, encouraging, challenging each other to grow in knowledge and love to make sure that the glory is going to God, and to never veer, never waver from the gospel of Jesus Christ. The second point that I would like to make this morning is that church discipleship in its truly base form will always be a faithful proclamation of the gospel. And here's one area I could go down so many different routes with this. But Paul talks about that in Colossians 1, that the gospels, this mystery, this good news is faithfully proclaimed. To faithfully proclaim the gospel, one area of that I believe, and maybe one of the highest values that I have is I stand in this pulpit most Sundays and pray and do my level best to faithfully proclaim the word of God is the understanding that we, when we respond to his calling on our hearts and we give our lives as living sacrifices, when we're humbling ourselves the way we should, when we're using discernment and sober judgment and making good decisions like we should, and when we're connected in the body and using our gifts, that we have to understand that we are a part of his story. It's not that God comes in and all of a sudden he becomes this little writer, this attachment, this part of our story that makes our story better. No. When God comes in, we become part of his story. And that's such a humbling thought if you really, really think about it because God is saying that I'm grafting you into my family. I'm bringing you into my story. So you have a part to play in this story of the good news of a lost and dying world, of people who are lost and wrapped up in their sin with no hope, with no source of good, with no source of hope, with no source of true joy, with no source of true peace and happiness and content. I'm choosing you to be part of my story, to go spread that gospel, and to help people come to me. That's one of the biggest faithful proclamations that I feel like as your pastor I could ever make, that we become part of God's story. He doesn't come in and make our story better. Now, does he? Yes, our story gets so much better, but the story's not about us because before living for him, it's all about us. It's all about us, our wants, our desires, our goals, these things that we want to accomplish. And while those aren't bad and while those don't vanish when we give our hearts to Jesus, there is a turning, there is a shifting, there is a refocusing that happens that the story, the main character in the story is no longer us. But it's about Jesus Christ, him crucified, him buried, him resurrected, him ascending, and him coming again. Faithful proclamation of the gospel. Last point this morning. 
What is our definition of success? I believe in order for true discipleship, church discipleship, to be effective, to be biblical, we have to make sure that we are defining success the right way. Here's how success is not defined properly. By the attendance that we have on Sunday morning. By the offering that we have at the end of all of our gatherings. How many mission trips we can take. How many people do we help? How much food are we giving away? What is the number in our youth group? What about our kids? How big was VBS this year? Are we having a Christmas Eve candlelight service? Are we going to be able to have a church picnic? Hear me clearly. All of these things are important. All of these things are important to our church and to you to our family, but they are not the means of the way that we should be defining success. Now, do they tell a story? Does the attendance tell a story? Sure it does. Does the offering tell a story? Sure it does. Are these things important? Absolutely. Guess what? I don't ever want to see attendance decline. I don't ever want to see offering decline. I want to see VBS blow up. I want to see more people fed. I want to see us help more people. I want to see all of these things happen because they're good things, but they are not the primary definition or area of defining success in our church. Here's what is. That we are a church that's made up of brothers and sisters in Christ who are growing in our knowledge and our love for Jesus Christ. You do that, you do that, you will see attendance be good. You will see offering taking care of itself. You will see all of these auxiliary and ancillary things taking care of themselves and being healthy. Because if we're growing in our love and our knowledge and our Christ, and we're maturing in our walk with God, then all of these things will be added to us. Thank you again for being here with us on FCC Online. Make sure you stick around here in just a few moments. I'm going to slowly fade off the screen, and there's going to be a list as we count you down out of this video of considerations, some questions that we would like for you to ponder as we wrap this up. Thank you again for joining us. See you next week.